And we will begin right at the beginning of the Parsha. What a concept. So we're at chapter 23, verse 1. And I'll just mute everybody. You're welcome to unmute if you have a comment. This will just make it a little easier for everybody. Uh, can you hear me okay? Give me a thumbs up. Okay. Fantastic. Okay, so the Parsha begins with telling us that Sarah has passed away. The life of Sarah, this is the name of the Parsha, the life of Sarah. How long did she live? 127 years. Torah expresses it in an unusual way. 100 years, 20 years, and 7 years. The years of Sarah's life. The verse is just unusual. It's puzzling. And Rashi will address that. Why does it say 120, 100 years, 20 years, and 7 years? And then why does it then repeat at the end, these are the years of the life of Sarah? So Rashi says like this. The reason it says that is because it's trying to tell you something about Sarah. And what, she's, what the verse is saying, that when she was 100 years old, she was like a 20-year-old in, in, in regards to sin. Now, what does that mean? The Rashi says, just as a 20-year-old is not liable to punishment, as Rashi explains elsewhere, that when there is a divine punishment from on high, when there is a, you know, certain, certain crimes that are dealt with with capital punishment by the court, there are other crimes that are dealt with by the heavenly court. Um, and then that's called Misa Bideshamayim, death by the hands of heaven. These types of things, the, the heavenly court does not administer punishment to somebody who is under 20. So typically we think of 13 years old for a boy or 12 years old for a girl as being the age of adulthood, the age of responsibility and, um, you know, and punishment. However, when it comes to heavenly punishment, it starts at 20. So by saying 100 years, 20 years, and repeating years, the Torah is, con is comparing the two. That Just as when she was 20, she's like free of sin because it's not the age of punishment. So too, when she's in later in life, when she's in her hundreds, 100, She's also free of sin. So she's a righteous person. And then, and likewise, it's comparing 20 to 7 in regards to beauty. Finally, the verse concludes the years of the life of Sarah, all of them are equally good. The Rebbe said, explained this very beautifully, that despite all of the troubles that Sarah went through, being barren for so many years, not having any children, and the ups and downs of her life, going down to Egypt and the Pharaoh and Abimelech, and uh, then having to deal with Hagar and Ishmael, with, with all of that, they were all, since she was constantly in a state of serving God, all of those years were good years. She utilized all of those years to the best of her ability. And so they were all equal in goodness she, since she was always dedicated to what she needed to do. Verse 2, Vatama Sarah, Sarah passed away, we're in Kiryat Arba, a place called Kiryat Arba, which is Hebron, which is in the land of Canaan. Vayavo Avram, Avram came to eulogize Sarah and to cry 
over her, to bewail her. Rashi says, the, the, the place called Kiryat Arba, Arba is four. Arba is four. And why is it called the city of four? Rashi gives two interpretations. One, that there were four giants, very tall men who lived there, Achiman, Sheishai, Talmai, and their father. That's from the Medrash, Bereshus um, Rabbah. And a second explanation Rashi gives is that there were four couples that were buried there. Adam and Chava, Adam and Eve, Avram and Sarah, Yitzchak and Rivka, and Yaakov and Leah. So why is it called Kiryat Arba? For one of these two reasons, or maybe both. One is uh, something that would be in the future, and one is something that was concurrent at that time. Avram, Avram came. What does it mean he came? Where does he come from? He came from Be'er Sheva. He was in Be'er Sheva. He had gone to Be'er Sheva after the binding of Isaac. He went to Be'er Sheva to, to offer um, thanks to God. And now when he hears that Sarah died, he comes to eulogize her and to bewail her. Rashi says that there's a connection between the death of Sarah and the binding of Isaac. That was one of the last things we had in last week's Parsha, was the story of the binding of Isaac. And now we have the death of Sarah. It's not a coincidence. Because it was because she heard about what happened that her son was nearly slaughtered. Her soul flew out of her and she died. The Rebbe explained this very beautifully as well and said that we find this expression of the soul flying out regarding the Jewish people when they received the Torah at Mount Sinai. When God said the Ten Commandments, every time he said a commandment, their souls flew out. Well, the first two only after after the so their souls flew out after the first commandment, and then they uh, the God they, they God restored their souls. Then when God said the second commandment, their souls flew out again, and that's when they said that was great, but we don't want to go through that again. So they asked for Moshe to be the go between between God and them, and and Moshe ends up saying the this the last eight commandments. So this expression of the soul flying out, parcha nishmasang, is an expression of an overwhelming spiritual experience or divine revelation that causes the soul to no longer be able to stay within the confines and the constraints of the body. In a similar vein, when Sarah hears about the incredible self-sacrifice that Isaac is willing to do for God, this fills her with this incredible uh, um, divine revelation which causes her soul to leave and, and it's at, also at that moment that her life's work is so to speak done because she's, she's brought a son into the world and raised a son that is, is at that sublime level and her mission in the world is complete and her soul uh, leaves this world in this very heightened spiritual state verse 3 Vayakam Avraham Avraham arose Me'al Pnei Mesoy from upon the face of his dead, now he gets to the business of burying Sarah and buying a plot for her. And he says to the people of Chet, those are the people who live there, he says as follows, I'm a stranger and a, and a citizen with you, which Rashi will say seems to be contradictory. Which is it? Is he a stranger or is he, or is he a, a citizen? Is he a ger or is he a toshav? 
so he says to them, give to me a burial property with you, or a property for, for, for a cemetery with you, and I will bury my dead from before me. Rashi addresses this question. Was he a stranger? Was he a citizen? So the first interpretation is, I am a stranger from another land, but I have become, I've settled among you. So I am an inhabitant with you. As here they quote the Rashbam and Sforno, that what was he trying to say? He was saying, this is why I don't have an ancestral burial plot here, because I'm, I'm not from these parts. But the, the Medrash says that he was saying, it's true, these two things are, are uh, mutually exclusive. But he was saying he was saying a double a double edged thing. He was saying if you agree to sell me a property, then I'm, I will act like a like a stranger. I'll you can treat me like a stranger. But if you're not willing to, then I will take it by right, because God promised me this land. So that's what he means. Ger v'toshav, you could either treat me like a ger and sell it to me. But if you don't, I will claim my right as a toshav as a citizen. Verse 5, oh, before we get to that, what does it say? It says, Abraham arose from before his dead and spoke to the sons of Chet. So what is this extra words over here? The, uh, the Rebbe explained that where did Avram get the strength to stand up to the people of Ches and to Ephron and to speak boldly to them and to ultimately succeed in what he had to do was from Sarah. He got the strength from Sarah. That's where he got his strength. That's what the verse means. He arose from, before his dead, he rose from, from Sarah and from the strength that he had from her, and that gave him the strength to speak strongly to the people of Ches and to Ephraim. So the people of Ches, verse 5, respond to Avram, and they say to him, Listen to us, my Lord. You are a prince of God. That's a beautiful title. You're a prince of God in our midst. Not only are we going to give you a grave, you can take the best, the best, you can bury your dead. No man among us would, would withhold his grave from you to bury your dead. They really speak to him with incredible respect. Verse 7, so Abraham arose and he prostrates himself to the people of Pnechais and he says to them, if you want to help me to bury my dead from before me, listen to me. And entreat for me with this man named Ephron, the son of, of Tzohar. Ephron ben Tzohar. And let him give me, verse 9, this Ma'arat uh, Avraham didn't just want any grave for Sarah. He had his eye on a particular plot, which was called Ma'arat HaMachpelah. Ma'arat HaMachpelah is the Machpelah cave. So Ma'ara is a cave. Marat is the cave of Machpelah, the cave of Machpelah, which means double. So uh, you have this word in Torah law that a thief, when a thief steals and he's caught, he has to pay back double. That's called kefil. Kefil. So Machpelah, the double cave that he that he owns, Ephron owns, which is at the edge of his field. And Bikesef Malay, I am willing to pay full price. Kesef Malay, Malay means full. Yidnenali, let him give it to me among you for a burial plot. Rashi says, Hamachpela, the double cave. Why is it called the double? 
Rashi gives double explanation. The first explanation he says is that this was a double place. So it had a it had a structure, a bias, and there was an upper story on top of it. Another explanation, Rashi says, not that the structure, I'm not not the doubleness is not describing the structure, but the inhabitants of the structure, both present and future, because this place would be a place where the couples would rest. Adam and Chava, as we said before, Abraham and Sarah, Yitzchak and Rivka, and Yaakov and Rachel, Yaakov and Leah. Kesev Mole says Rashi, full price, full value. I'm going to play, pay its full value. And Rashi cites also from King David in the book of Chronicles that when King David was buying the area where the base of Migdash would be built, Temple Mount, that area, he paid Kesef Mole, full price. So we see that the these uh, these very special places in the land of Israel were purchased by Kesef Mole, as a, as explained in Hasidus, that anything that is holy comes with hard work, doesn't doesn't come for free, and so these very very uh, special places, Hebron and Yerushalayim, were purchased with full for their full value. As we'll see, that that um, Avram didn't want to take it as a gift. Verse ten, and it's ironic that these places are the ones where the nations of the world uh, make us the biggest trouble over the places that Dafka, the ones that we, we paid for in full price, these are the places that the, the certain elements of the nations of the world are claiming that we have no right to and we should leave that area. The Ephraim, Yeshiv B'Seich B'nei Ches, so Ephraim was sitting among the people of Ches and Ephron the Chittite. So as we're hearing a lot about the Chittites, Ephron the Chittite responds to Avram in the ears, within the earshot of the Bnei Ches. It's a very public statement that he's making. The Torah goes out of its way to make sure that we know that this was very public. It wasn't a private conversation. Everybody knew and everybody heard of all of those who had come into the gate of his city saying. Rashi points out, it says, Ephron Yoshev, Ephron was sitting. The word Yoshev, so again, we had this in last week's Parsha as well with Lot and with Abraham that it says it without a Vav. So Yo should have a Vav after it to give that O sound, but it doesn't. It's missing the Vav, which means that he was sitting, but he just got, he just started sitting there. Just as we said by Lot, that, that day he'd be an appointed judge. It was that day that Ephron had become a um, shoter upon an officer over them. Why was this? That was because of the, the importance of Avram, the dignity of Avraham, who was going to need to talk to this Ephron. Therefore, God caused that Ephron would be brought up. He would rise up to an exalted position. So when Avram had to deal with him, he would be dealing with a more prestigious person. And that's, we learned that all from the fact that it says Yoshev without Avav, that he wasn't, he had, if it was with Avav, he would say he was sitting there comfortably, well settled for a long time. Missing the Vav is a qualifier. He was sitting there, but he just started sitting there. Of all those who had come into the gate of his city, Rashi says that everybody left their work and they came 
to pay their respects to Sarah. So you see that the people of, the, of this place, Hebron, they had great respect for Abraham and for Sarah. Verse 11. So what does he say to Avram? He says, Lo, no, Adoni Shimaini, my master, listen to me. The field I'm giving to you. And the and the grit and the in the cave that is within it, I'm giving you that too. And I'm doing this in front of everybody. I'm giving it to you. Bury your dead. Rashi says, what does he mean? No, my master. Don't. He means don't buy it with money. I'm giving it to you. Uh, Rashi says, I have given you. Not I'm, I'm giving you. It's as if I already gave it to you. Does Avram accept this? Absolutely not. Verse 12, Avram bows down for the people of the land and he speaks to Ephron again Torah emphasizes this was within the hearing everyone everyone was here everyone heard this this conversation and he said however you listen to me or if halavai I hope that you will listen to me it's, it's as if I have given you just as he said it's already like I've given it to you um, I, it's as if I've already given you the money for this place. Take it from me. Take the money from me, and I will bury my dead there. As Rashi says, you're telling me that I should take it for free. That's not what I want. If you will listen to me, please let me pay for it. Verse 14, Ephron responded to Abraham saying, my master, listen to me, a land that is worth 400 shekel kesef, 400 shekels of silver between me and you. What is it? What's, what's 400 shekels of silver? And you're dead. Bury. Rashi says, between two great friends like us, what is 400? What, is, what importance is, is 400 shekels? Leave the sale and bury your dead. Verse 16, by Yishma Avram al-Ephron. Avram heard Ephron. He listened to Ephron. And he doesn't argue with him. Instead, by Yishkal Avram al-Ephron, he pays, he weighs out. By Yishkal, interesting. The word shekel in Hebrew comes from the word to weigh. By Yishkal Avram al-Ephron. So he weighs out the kesef, the silver to Ephron, which he had spoken in the hearing of the sons of Ches, name, meaning the 400 shekel that he mentioned. And the Torah adds, not just not only did he give 400 shekel, he gave them in a, uh, the type that were over la socher, accepted by the merchant, meaning the best type, as Rashi explains, that he gave um, the silver that would be accepted in all places. Now Rashi points out that it has the word Ephron over here. You could see it very clearly. Here I have the word Ephron in Hebrew. And here you have the word Ephron again. So mostly, almost always, or perhaps every time, Ephron is written with this Vav. Ephron, as I said, the vowel O is used to use a Vav to express the O sound. But if you look at how it's spelled over here, there's missing the Vav. There's no Vav. Why? Rashi says, Choser Vav, it's missing a Vav. Why? Because he spoke a big talk. He talked a big game, Ephron. He says, oh, what is it? 400 shekel. But then in the end, he, did, he didn't do 
even a little bit because he took from him shkolim gedolim. He took from Abram large shekels worth one hundred smaller shekels. Chain kanterin sent centenaria, which we know means one hundred, like centennial. So that's the the kanterin over here. That they're accepted as a shekel in every place because there are some places where you know in every place the shekel was a different size. And there are some places where the shekel is very big, and they are centenaria, centeniers, and they're a hundred times one shekel. And that was the type of shekel that he gave, and he accepted it. It's also he like hinted in verse six fifteen. It's interesting. This is my own uh, comment that Avram doesn't argue with him. When he says, you know, what is it between us? He, he understands that this is Ephron's way of saying that he would like 400 shekel for this. Vayishma Avram, he heard what he had to say and he paid him for it. So that concludes today's Parsha. And we'll open it up to questions and or comments. Concerning the death, the death of Sarah, Sarah, I mean, I have problems with the, the Kabbalistic interpretation. I mean, when I'm reading the text, I mean, there's a disconnect between the text and you know the Kabbalistic interpretation from the readers from from the perspective as I'm reading it. She's in shock and mourning, and she she dies of dies of shock when she learns that her her one and only her her son was uh, was about to be uh, sacrificed. Yeah, and then, so how, do, how does it, you know, so, so you have the you know, I'm, I'm talking about you know, I mean you're immersed in this, but from my perspective as a reader, it just doesn't gel completely. Right. So to to be sure, in fact, um, you, there are other midrashim that have more that that seem to imply a um, more clearly what you're saying, and even Rashi. I mean, if you just read Rashi without hearing the Rebbe's more kabbalistic interpretation. I you know, okay, and another thing to kind of, okay, one, one, one more aspect of this yeah. is, you know, like uh, when, uh, you know, when, when, uh, when Sarah, when Sarah, when Sarah, Sarah tells, uh, uh, tell Abraham to banish Ishmael, you know, I mean, that's between him and God. It's not directly, uh, it's not directly discussed with them. It's just, it's just, God, what is, what should I, should I believe Sarah? What's like, like this? And it seems like that there's almost like a retaliation in some, in some respects, and not disclosing that uh, her son was about to be uh, certain, certainly Sarah should have been, been informed about this. I mean, I just don't know know why. I'm just talking, you know, just for me as a, as a reader of this. Yeah, it just no, that's a good question. That's a good question. Right. But get, going back to, um, you know, whether this was out of shock and or whether this was a, a spiritual uh, spiritual experience. So, like I said, other midrashim, the wording is different. And even in Rashi, like I said, if you if you didn't hear this from the Rebbe, you you know, I I just certainly never thought of it. And then when I read it, it was like, wow, that's that's an interesting. But but the the wording that leads to that interpretation, because Rashi chooses these particular words to say how she died, this idea of her soul flying away. I and mean, when you look into the that that expression, as I said, when you mm-hmm. look into other parts of the Torah, where is that expression used? It's always used in the sense of a overwhelming spiritual experience. So we, there is other ways of describing somebody who died out of shock. 
you know, or, you know but the, the, Rashi does not choose that language, but it's, it's a good point. Mm-hmm. Okay. I was thinking along those same lines, well, a bit along those same lines, because this, I mean, trauma really of learning that he was bound, almost slaughtered under her son. I mean, it's got to be a deep, deep shock and suffering. But there's always this relationship between suffering and even shock and some kind of spiritual awakening. I see this coming, coming time and again um, throughout the, the Torah. I mean, throughout these stories. I mean, is that also part of it? I mean, how, how, what is the timing related to her death and when she found out about him almost being slaughtered? I'm just well, she to, she yeah. dies immediately from when she hears that. Okay, so there's the shock. Yeah, is there some relation? This divine revelation means there's something not just negative about trauma, but something also about an awakening of the soul of mm-hmm. movement toward God. So there's something, there's always that relationship. Yeah, yeah. So you're making peace between the two uh, the two ways of looking at it. <laughs> indeed, was indeed was a shock. And that you know that that makes sense you know because there's there is definitely that aspect of it. I think that I think that when we look at it from kind of we're projecting from our own experiences, then it's hard to imagine, hard to think of it in any other way than this was just a physical shock of you know what what happened. But mm-hmm. we're, we we're talking about people Abraham and Sarah who are operating at a, at a much higher level, and so. It's conceivable that what, you know, the, the interpretation of the Kabbalah, that it's l- less about the shock, although that could be an element as well, um, and more of, of a spiritual spiritual reaction on the part of Sarah. But it's very hard for us to imagine such a thing. But then again, it would be hard to imagine uh, Avraham and being able to go through what he was going to do. So this is, these, are talk- these are people at a very high level. Hillel, you were going to say something. I was going to ask, uh, where, from whom uh, did Sarah learn that uh, that thing happened? Who told her that? Either uh, Isaac or Abraham or one, who, who said that, you know, because they were all the only two people who actually were present at that uh, event, you know, the other yeah. guys stayed there, that used to stay down the road. They didn't know what happened, you know, so it's supposed to be one of them. Yeah, the Gemara, I believe, I mean, the Midrash says that it was Og, Og Melech Abashan, the, the same one who came and told Avraham that Lot had been captured, he came and told Sarah that that what happened. Because he was she able knew. to see. He was able to be very tall and he was able to see what happened. That's a good question. Exactly. But the, I guess the word got out. Um, somebody saw. Somebody took a video with the phone. Yeah, that's interesting. Because I would, you know, Imagine how would Abraham told the story or, or Isaac, you know, to her, you know, what happened. Another thing is, you know, that says that uh, in that cave, uh, uh, Adam was born, uh, was uh, buried in, in Hawa, yeah? yeah? So they it means they lived in the uh, land of Canaan all the time, Adam and Hawa and, and or somewhere else. Um, I'm not sure exactly where they live, but it makes sense. Gan Eden is in Gan Eden is is in um, is in Israel, and um, yeah. Israel. Live, yeah. So, 
They said people they didn't have any idea that uh, that Adam was born uh, was buried there, and they didn't bury the own, you know, because it was supposed to be holy place for them too, probably. You know, they didn't have any idea about that, huh? Right, that's a good point. Um, maybe that's why he was charging so much. But it's yeah, it's interesting that he would be willing to give it away. Did they know that this was Adam and Chava's? Better, yeah, that's a good question. I never thought about that. Okay. I'll look into that. Put our research okay. department on it. Thank you, thank you. Okay, well, I, I want to just conclude. These are all excellent questions. I just want to conclude with a with a mystical interpretation of the verse, verse two, where it says that Sarah died in Kiryat Arba, which is Hebron, the land of Canaan, and Abraham came to eulogize Sarah and to bewail her. So in the Kabbalistic interpretation, the Zohar, Sarah alludes to the body, or represents the body, and Abraham represents the soul. So Abraham and Sarah are soul and body. And so what happens? But Thomas Sarah, well, I'll do it on the English side. Sarah died. The body dies. And, and it references Kiryat Arba, which is the uh, the four elements, right, of um, earth and fire and, and, and air and water. And the, and the body, which was Hebron, which was those four elements, Hebron means are united, we're united. Now it begins to disintegrate. And the body and the soul, when they were together, they were in the land of Canaan. The land of Canaan is the physical world where they're doing their job, doing their mandate. And after the body dies, Abraham, which is the soul, comes to eulogize Sarah, comes to cry over Sarah, over the body, because it was the body that enabled the soul to be able to be active in this world and to do mitzvot, etc. Wow. Hmm. But eventually... Eventually, what happens in the next verse? Abraham arose from before his dead. The soul arises from the body and goes to heaven. And um, and and uh, you know, as we talked about in our JLI course, is not not so simple of that how that separation occurs. But ultimately, the soul arises from the dead and goes to its place in heaven. So that's just a a little taste of Zohar of how the Zohar and, and other mystical texts will look at a verse and take it to a, a very, very different interpretation. Wow. So uh, this is the beginning of Chaya Sarah. And I should mention as the real conclusion that, you know, the major question everybody asks is, why is this called the life of Sarah? The name of the Parsha is Chaya Sarah, the life of Sarah, when in fact we're talking about her death. We have a Parsha later in Leviticus that's called Acharimot, after the deaths of Nadav and Aviyu. So this should really be called after the death, not the life of Sarah. And it's explained that in this Parsha we see how Sarah's life, she can her her, her the, the legacy of Sarah continued to live on after her passing. In fact, you see the impact of her life. 
The idea is very simple. Abraham, as we saw last week, is the man of kindness. He's, he's a, in a sense, universalist, right? He's praying for the people of Sodom. He thinks there's hope for the people of Sodom. He doesn't want to chase Ishmael. He doesn't want to chase out Ishmael. And Sarah is the one who is saying, no, there's, there's a uh, particularism. Yitzchak. This, is, this, Yitz, this, this has to go to Yitzchak. Ishmael, he just doesn't cut it. And the fact that Yitzchak is going to be the inheritor of Abraham, this is something that Sarah is, is, um, is pushing. And we see in this Parsha, we see at the end, that Yishmael comes and lets Yitzchak go in front of him. When they come to bury Abraham, it says uh, Yitzchak and Yishmael. Yishmael recognized that Isaac was the true heir of, of Abraham. And so we see here and in other places in the Parsha um, how Sarah's legacy lives on after the passing of after her own passing, or or even from, even the the fact that her son Yitzchak, he he gets married, and and um, the legacy of Sarah is perpetuated in this parsha. This is why it's called the life of Sarah, because true life is not about our physical life. Certainly, for the righteous, their whole life is about their spirit, the spiritual content, and so you can rightly say that this is this parsha can be described as the life of Sarah. Mm-hmm. Thank you again. Thank you, Thank you, Thank you very much. Great to see everybody. Thank you. I Thank hope you everybody has. Uh, hope everybody has power. And um, if you need to charge your phone, let me know. Thank you guys. Thank you. 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 Thank